0: Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes.
1: Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
0: Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on blue Nile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com.
2: There's this great moment. There's nothing reliable about the 20th century in this, and they're in a cave and they find a Volkswagen Beetle, it's 200 years old, and he suddenly goes, I'm going to see if it starts, and he puts <laughs> it there, he goes, look at that, it starts first time, and I can't <laughs> believe it, you know, it's, just, it's, such a, it's such a great moment.
3: Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Collecting Addicts podcast. Although we have had an alternative name suggested, and it is wheel nuts. I quite like wheel nuts, so we might run with that next Mm. week, but for this week, we are still collecting addicts. And this week, we're going to begin with our two-car garage challenge. I'm going to read it out. It was set by Mr. Edward Lovett. The two-car garage is a married senior exec with two sub-ten-year-old kids in his 40s buying two brand new cars. I know, it's riveting stuff. One is a company car that must be electric, and needs to be able to get over 250 miles on a charge. He's going to write up 100% of the value against tax, and there isn't a set budget for that. But for the new car, he has a £120,000 cap, and he'll fund it with a a PCP with a £20,000 deposit. It needs rear seats, although not for long journeys, and his wife will want to use the car during the week, and he wants to smile while driving it at the weekend. I need to get breath after reading that (laughs) massive monologue. But I'm going to pass this over to Chris Cooper, who has, sadly... A serious bout of the man flu.
4: Yeah, but I'm not making a fuss about it at all, though. That's the main <laughs> thing. Um, it's really hard to walk past Taycan for the electric car. I have to say, I mean, you know, we've had this conversation before, and I know that And I, 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 it works. It's a great Porsche, and it's a great electric car. It's got that just unbelievable elastic capability. So um, electric cars, they are part of the answer somewhere. And Taycan, it would just about in springtime, summer, the decent amount would be over 250 miles. I just, I mean, you're on,
3: you're on the outer edge there. I've never driven a Taycan that gave me 250 miles. Um, my one, they've just tweaked it a bit, because
4: um, mine went back in October. But certainly, I actually took a photograph because I was so surprised of the little range thing. I did see 251 oh. on the oh, range you're in,
3: you're in. You've got, you've got proof. And, and then they had, they tweaked
4: it. to so so a A two-seat car, some rear seats, not all the time, sub-ten-year-old kids, quite small. Ooh, what's that <laughs> going to be? Hard to walk past 9-11 again. It's just, I'm really sorry. I mean, it's going, to be, it's going to be a really quick segment because everyone's going to say, oh, he's just got my two. It's bloody annoying, um, isn't it? It's just, <laughs> you just have a 9-11. And I just think, and that's the end
3: of it. It's a Taika and a 9-11. Lucky us. Double tick. Go and see the headmaster for Thank you. choosing the right thing. Well I'll done. Some sweet sweets. Yes. Yeah, some sweets. Green, green coffee, pen, too. not red pen. Uh yeah. uh Neil Clifford.
5: Well, I, I went take TyCan as well. I think yeah. there's there's I had one, as as some people know, and I endeavoured to do a, a Liverpool and back trip in the car and failed appallingly. I only ever got two two eight on the range, but see, it's um, not reliable.
6: Me, yeah.
5: I'm trusting in Mr. Cooper that you yeah, know, yeah, it can definitely. get 251, 228, and then you turn on the air conditioning, the lights and the wipers, you get like 201, and then it's at winter, it's probably 197 or something. Yeah. But it probably is the best electric car, actually. I, I enjoyed it apart from the fact that you just can't charge it up anywhere with any convenience.
6: So if, if you had to do 250 and you had to get an electric car tomorrow, would you buy a Taycan? Yes. Yeah. But you only got two to eight, Neil.
5: It, well, I, I'm, I'm buying Chris's one.
6: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's
5: fine. Yeah. And, and then, actually, the, the only real choice of the, of the sports car is a bloody 911. And I even went through auto car and the top 10 best sports cars yesterday and tried to find another bloody idea. And Aston Martin and Mercedes. You just can't buy that new Mercedes SL. It's so bloody ugly and fat. It is ugly. Actually, I've decided that I'm ignoring the rules completely and I'm buying an FF. Yeah. I'm going down to see Matthew down in Swindon and I'm going to buy an FF and I'm going to just tell the wife it's new. Because (laughs) it is is the best proper four-seater sports car. It's peak... Luca De Montezellamo before Manzoni sort of ruined the design of the whole bloody brand.
3: And it's the coolest thing and you keep it forever. Would you buy one without, would you buy one out of warranty with that front gearbox diff arrangement? I own one out of warranty. Did you? Now I do now.
5: (laughs) And uh, it's a bit of a pain in the arse out of warranty. I've had to do a few sort of Chinese, um, Chinese handshakes with Mr. Matthew, and and I've got a few big bills. So it's a it's not straightforward an
3: FF out of warranty. I would oh, say you so. Love so it. My, my old one is just is, uh, Matthew's just brought it back. This Matthew character we talk about is Matthew Beard, who is the who runs Ferrari Swindon, by the way. He's, who's he's has the most old, beautiful man in the car industry. He is, but he's he's had all of our trousers down around our ankles for the last 25 <laughs> yeah. years. He's a clever man. Um, but uh, he... He's got my old blue one back. and He, tra- he, spoke to speaker, said, he said, do you want it do you want to have a go at it? And I'm so tempted, because I just loved the car. And I had a sense that it just felt like it was quite strong, that one. i am doing an FFF, so in a minute where I thought to myself, this isn't a strong one. That one did remember, feel quite strong. Do
4: you remember when I broke down in yours? I took it to Cornwall. You lent it to me very kindly. You didn't preclude me from going to Cornwall in it, which I obviously then did. Yeah. And I ran it very close to the edge of the fuel tank capacity. And it stopped. Oh, yeah, fuel, it goes so, down
3: really quick. It has also, but it has a fuel pressure sensor. Yeah. Um, so stops. if it doesn't have the right fuel pressure, the ECU shuts the engine down. Yeah. But that is a problem because if you've got so little fuel in the tank, it doesn't, it's the first Ferrari that didn't have a fuel cap. So that little yes. aluminium yeah. yeah. You push the nozzle into mm, if that yeah. if that isn't sealing properly, there's a little seal there. If that little gasket doesn't seal against the thing properly and you swish and it starts to scavenge at the bottom of the tank, it can yeah. draw enough air through quickly. That tells the brain that it's going to start throwing air into the fuel pump, and it just shuts it off. I had so it you know, back the, twice.
4: That blue one was nice
5: for 120 yeah. grand. It's the best four seat yeah. sports car. That end, it, cheap. Actually, it's one of the best sounding Ferraris ever. The F Yeah, well,
3: I'm going to phone Matthew after this. I'm. I'm, I'm you I'm, know, I don't know that my they're youngest is on the back seat. Right, <laughs> who's? Um, uh, let's go for Manish now for your two car garage.
2: Okay, um, <clears throat> I had a feeling. That the uh take home would be uh soup de jour. So I decided yesterday, I'll tell you the best thing about this podcast you do have to read around it, apart from mm. you, probably, Chris Harris, and possibly Mr. Cooper, but the rest of us read around it. And I found this fantastic magazine online called Fleet News.
4: Oh okay. I've got a subscription to that.
2: Oh, see, see what <laughs> I mean? I mean, yeah, for missing out on this. For special
4: so, reasons, actually, seriously, I do yeah.
2: I, I literally I was whipping through this, and it's just, it's just it's like a trip to the office in Slough, isn't it? Just reading this, you can it just is. see the characters you're going to buy each car. So I actually decided that the BMW i4 e-drive M Sport
0: Ooh. at
2: sixty thousand pounds, three hundred and forty brake horsepower, not sixty sub yeah. six. But it has a range of 350 miles. And the guy actually did, he did uh, two, I can't remember where he went to. He went somewhere, he got back again and actually just slightly lost confidence 10 miles from home. The computer was telling him, I think it was 12 or 14, he decided to give it a 10-minute quick charge. And that is what I would get. I think they don't look too bad. I'm not in love with the double vagina at the front. It doesn't do it. (laughs) (laughs)
3: The... uh, but Manish, it's the least offensive expression of that new BMW design language, isn't it? It's the best I completely
2: agree, completely so, you know, yeah. agree. You look around it, you know, I could I almost, you know, almost, okay. almost buy one, really. Nice. Um and Edward Lovett, you sent this new car challenge out on WhatsApp, which I kind of read, you know, as people read WhatsApp really quickly. So I missed the word new. In the hundred twenty thousand pounds. But Neil's Neil's bent the rules anyway. Nice and, um, there is a car I've been in love with for such a long time. It's got vestigial back seats, but my Ooh, god, if I had a teeny, tiny, you know, rudimentary, like, like your that. appendix. Um, and um <laughs> well, I'll tell you what it is. It's a 1977 Maserati Kamzin. Yeah. <laughs> and I uh I'll tell you mm. apparently the very very top ones again just reading these fantastic publications that are out there have slightly lost their value and you can get a ute from 77 for 120,000 pounds and five Beast engine v 8 beautiful looking and it's got that glass back with the with the with the lights kind of floating and ah you just ram your kids in the back massive boot space just Marcello again. It's a which, beautiful thing. Everything I love
3: about cars. Mm. So that's it. That's my. Also, baby. I also love the fact that that again, if we talk about the PCP and the deposit reflecting over by cars, also the idea of mis- mistaking or not seeing the word new. It's just the kind of thing that happens, isn't it? When you go home to your other half or your friends, I, I didn't realize I couldn't buy an old car, so I bought an old car. There you go. It's what happens to yeah, us, exactly. Okay, but what is your two-car garage going to be?
6: Well, I've, I've had obviously way too much time to think about it. But they, these are real things. <laughs> the thing people do think about these things. I know you three of you are talking about take-ans, but maybe I should have put 275 miles on the range or something <laughs> like that because <laughs> it actually dismisses a lot of those cars that you would you would naturally go to i think we talked about this in the first or the second podcast about electric cars their rapid depreciation because if you buy them as a brand new car you can write 100 off against your tax um and that makes a massive difference which means yeah. as a used car when they're not VAT qualifying anymore and they don't have that ability to write it off against the tax they're depreciating very very quickly they you know? Uh, and and it, you know it's 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 something you think about. So obviously, my electric car, I bought a Rimac because it does three hundred and forty miles, and I can write. I had a very good year last year, you see, and as, a, as a senior God, executive, so I can write off two and a half million euros against tax. Manish,
3: Manish has actually left the room. He's so disgusted. He's just yeah, gone. Well, I mean. Uh, uh,
6: I put I put Rimac down that. there, but but actually it, it does it has got a 340 mile range. Well, we we yet to is see it? that proven. But but Chris and I went to Canada last year and yeah. we spent three days um, in the Lucid Air Grand Touring. That that thing is brilliant. Um, what well,
2: is? I just had a postman. <laughs> just, <laughs> I just missed the car name. That's all. It was that, uh, the
6: Lucid. The Lucid Grand Tour, its It is. It, it, it doesn't matter whether it's a petrol engine or electric car. It's sure, just. Sure. It was just a lovely, lovely thing. And then again, the the sort of hundred and twenty grand new sports car that puts a smile on your face that you can get your kids in the back. It's tricky. You know, it, it's. It is tricky. You know that there there aren't that many cars. And even if you want to spend sixty grand, a lot of them have got two seats, not not four yeah. seats um and you know a lot of people buy these cars on finance so you need something that's got a pretty good residual value you know look at Roma's and Lusso's or the new Pura Sangue you know they're 300 grand or 200 something grand once you put carbon fiber everywhere so I think it's very hard to look away from a 911 so you know whether it be a 911T or just a Carrera 2 or a GTS for 114,000 pounds it It is the best all-rounder sports car that that you can
3: buy as a new car in that range. At this point, I need to stop and say this podcast is sponsored by Porsche AG. (laughs) uh, And uh, we advise that everyone buys a Taycan or a 911. Ridiculous. Okay, I'll jump in there. <laughs> you're far more, but you're far better informed than us, Chris. So hopefully, I think, yeah. I think the, the electric car question: if you want a car that will regularly provide you with 250 miles of range, regardless of the way you drive and the temperature outside, there isn't such a vehicle. The Rimac's got 340, but if you give it full tap, it's not doing that. The Lucid Air with the longest range thing probably has the best range of any vehicle. Yeah, we were tapping it around that track. No way it would do 250 miles. Um, so for me, I've had a Polestar 1 for a while. That's a weird hybrid thing, but I do like the Polestar design language. Yeah. I like the way the brand holds itself. It's not it's not as smug. The owners don't seem to be quite as pleased with themselves. Um, so I'm going to go for the longest range Polestar 2 that you can buy, because yeah, I've good. realized that that offers just about everything I need in terms of electric motoring. If you spend £170,000 on a fully licked Taycan, I'm not sure it gives you an awful lot, but it gives you the ability to terrify a motorcycle once in a while. But that's about it. The rest of the performance you just can't use. It's just too bloody fast. I quite like it. I think, I think the thing about
4: how they're reselling, but you mentioned this a minute ago, and, and managed. now you are a fellow subscriber to Fleet News. I'm very impressed. The industry will be proud of both of us. Um, some of the leasing companies that are now taking EVs back, that have been out there for three years, um, in my day, professional life, I deal with some of these these firms, and in the first part of this year, when they've been commenting on the performance of their auctions, the disposing of these older
3: EVs, they're just not selling. They've literally no. been left with car parks full of them. It's well, I, I, so I, I'm going to go true. Polestar because I'm I'm an advocate of the brand, and I, I, by the way, my Polestar one I pay for, so don't no, it's not a freebie. I'm not.
2: Can we ask? Can we ask what you paid
3: for it? Um, I think the most you can spend on a Polestar is about seventy. Right. Uh, you can't really get much above that. If you go right. for the most powerful, all the bells and whistles. But I, I looked at everything else, and I couldn't get the range. I have to say, if I was if I was pushed, I'd take the Audi E-Tron GT over the iCan just because I prefer the way it looks from the outside. I think it's a better looking car. Now, my 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 sports car is a. Uh, I'm going to slightly blur the boundaries again, partly because Edward did a really good job in providing us with a difficult question um What I wanted to do was buy a DB11 Volante, but I can't buy one new. And, and the reason why I, the DB11 is is not liked by many people. But actually, as a Volante, I think it's quite a pretty car, and I and I love I'm liking convertibles more and more as I get older. But I couldn't find one new, and I couldn't find a very clever way of explaining how I might have nicked one that was nearly new. And I'm not as naughty as you lot in in bending the rules. So I'm going to go for a vehicle that I think has totally altered my view of why I would own a sports car. And that's an M5 CS. I I used to think that I wanted to have a 911 turbo. I needed that sports car. I'd rather have a sports car with two back seats to irritate my children. Because it meant that I had something I wanted to drive more on a daily basis. But the M5 exploded that completely. I'd rather drive it than my, the 992 Touring, if I looked at the two together, I went in the M5. I think there are a couple of nearly new ones that, or unregistered ones that haven't sold. And I think you could probably get one for 120 grand now that, that had delivery miles on it. Mm. Uh, it's, it's the best two plus two I've ever owned. It just happens to be a massive four-seater with a boot, but it's just, I, I crap on about it. It's a game-changing car for me. Yeah,
5: that's cool.
3: I there we go, that. So cool. Now, Let's move on to the thorny issue of Formula One. Uh, Manish, I gather there are lots of things going on down at the Scuderia that we ought to understand. Um, yes, again. Um, I will start off by repeating that I am a bit of a closet
2: Ferrari and McLaren fan, and I do really love these teams. In fact, there isn't a team that I don't love, but I think we all feel in our souls that Ferrari are kind of due one. And we've been feeling that now for 10 whole years, or at least should be up there, kind of battling for one. And um, Luca Montesemolo always said that in his time there, they were always there or thereabouts. He could never guarantee they could win a championship, but they were fighting for one pretty much every single year after the kind of, if you like, Todd era. And I think what's painful is reading and if you, if you if you want to look at one website which I just absolutely adore it's the race because uh you know I really rate Mark Hughes I just think he's he's wonderful and um there have been a few articles now about real problems at Ferrari and they're saying that Vasseur is not really the boss that Vigna is uh, making quite a few decisions they were even saying that you know there was something that um you know, I hasten to add these are rumours, but normally a team principal closes the sponsorship. And so if you're having to go upstairs and say, "Oh, can I land this sponsor? And there was a rumour that um, that uh, Charles Leclerc wanted a face-to-face meeting with John Elcan. I mean, wh- why would you want a face-to-face meeting with the chairman of Exor? And that just makes no sense if you're a racing driver. What's that about? And, um, and we just made a list of the people who are going or gone or could be going and Sanchez, Mecchi, Jacobazzi,
3: Rosato, Rueda, and Cadile. I mean, if you know can a little you, bit. Of... You, sorry to interrupt, Manish. Can you just tell us what the, tell us or tell those that don't know what those what their job titles were, on idea of what departments they worked
2: in? Oh my god. I mean, you've got engines, you've got Aero, you've got commercial. Oh, the, the, the bottom yeah, line is not leader. yeah, it's it's not it's not one Aero guy going and taking two mates with him. And um mm. the, the reason why, you know, I'm a little bit worried about this is because I think um You know, second year of rule stability. People are tracing all of this back to, or, or that you know, it's the usual Ferrari stuff. So, you know, rumours that um that this all dates back to Sergio Marchionne wanting to make it a purely Italian company. I mean, when you start digging around like that, it's all it's all bollocks basically. There, there does seem to be a bit of a bit of a crisis there because I think they're just looking at. Um, let's see, Luca retired in 2014, so this is. This is, I guess, their um, ninth season without him, and they just have not challenged. There they was
6: have... a lot of those contracts are coming to an end. Are they going to stay within Formula One, Manish?
2: Well, you wonder whether some will go to the FIA or some are going to end up at McLaren because you know the the man who's running McLaren is a Ferrari stalwart, and um, you know, you know, I, I, I think the, I think the big worry for me. Is that one race in? We're hearing all of this, and if I had a single alarm bell, there it would be. If it's true, Leclerc wanting to meet Elcan. why would you want to meet your boss's 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 boss? Yeah, and that's a weird thing to do in the corporate world. And then there was, a, you know, another little dinky rumor that um, that uh, Helmet Marco, at the age of eighty, is starting to stretch and go. No, I'm not totally. Uh, I you know, I used to run this motor racing team, and now I. Have to talk to mintslav and I, I think marco and um dietrich Maschitz had an extraordinary relationship you hear yeah. about I mean they're just mates basically you know i i, I very much doubt how much marco's ever felt like an employee of red bull in his life you yeah. know it's like me giving you guys a call and saying look end of the grand prix duh, 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 what do you think and i think to go from that having to go into some kind of pseudo committee or and you know and again Bernie famously said the thing about Formula One is you've got to react quickly and whenever you create these kind of great committees or you've got to answer to someone you've lost the sponsor or you've lost the driver you know or you've lost the engineer and um I I just do wonder whether you know perhaps all of this is just a you know it's a crystallization perhaps as you say Edward of you know we've got to a certain weird time point in formula one but yes Do you think it's ferrari-
3: fair to say manage because as someone who's observed ferrari the way you have for so long one thing that i've always taken from the way ferrari succeeds it's, it's periods of success seem to have been built around a charismatic figure it and it could have been a driver or it could have been ldm it, but it, there, there was something at the ver- the kernel of the of the success was an individual a personality and it seems to me that Ferrari is lacking that. And I, I'm a big Charles Leclerc fan, but I'm not sure you could say that you would you could build a legacy of nine years' success around Charles right now, based on his performances and the and also the way he handles himself. I don't know whether that's fair or not. Is,
6: is Formula One missing that in a, in as in general? No.
3: Nah. <laughs> well, I th- I think it's
4: I mean it's leadership, isn't it? Yeah.
5: Um,
4: and I think you know this is. To some extent, these are circumstances of a perfect storm of unintended consequences. There is far more scrutiny now because of drive to survive. And the number of, you know, on on here on TikTok, whatever, the number of people and podcasts, ourselves included, who have cropped up and now have have an opinion and a voice. Um, I, I suspect, I don't want to shock anybody and disappoint my colleagues, but we look slightly older than most of the people on here talking about this stuff. Yeah, it's um, a good thing. Um, As
6: a young driver, to, um, <laughs> historically looking You're talking at me, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. But if, if you were Charles Leclerc and you were wanting to pick your team for the future, it, 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 and, and bear in mind they're all trying to do that, it's a big challenge today to, because there's there's not enough seats in the it's in the uh, in the teams that are going to find you a championship. Yeah. It's, it's too
4: complicated, I, I, I think.
3: So, so, on, uh, on, on, uh, so using that as a segue into the way Formula One presents itself now in the post-Drive to Survive era, can we discuss this open letter from Mercedes-Benz uh, Benz to its fans, which I, I'm cards on the table, huge Lewis fan, uh, absolute man crush on Toto for many years, just thought the way he handled things was brilliant. But I, I don't know what's going on there at the moment. And this this cloying...
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today.
3: piece of sort of it's vomit weird. poetry that was sent out was just too much for me to deal with. I, I just It made me almost not want to be a fan of the team. I've not reacted to something so strongly for such a long time. Yeah. I mean yeah, no, it 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 it
5: deeply worried me that because when, when I'm you know I'm a massive Mercedes fan only because of Lewis. If Lewis wasn't there, I probably wouldn't be a Mercedes fan, because you know it's Mercedes is sort of German, right? So I'd rather support McLaren, frankly, or or Aston, even if Aston's British from an F1 perspective. But when I read that, I thought, oh my God, who's who's written that? I know you would agree, Chris. It's like GCSE media studies. Yeah. that's been put through Grammarly, you know, it's yeah. like, God, yeah. it's you not track, anything, track, there was some hints in there, I suppose, to give it a slight bit of defense of lots of social media attacks on the brand. Yeah. hadn't seen that and it, I yeah. thought, well, maybe I haven't, I've missed something that has been quite um, difficult on social media for Mercedes in the last seven days. I haven't seen
6: anything, but well, but I think they a lot the... of the press use Hamilton, so you know, constantly threatening oh, yeah. that he's going to leave exactly. the team, which would obviously be a disaster, PR disaster, if that was to happen mid-season. Are we no, Lewis to Ferrari. You don't do we? see
2: that really, though, do you? I mean, my 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 sense of it, Mercedes, in a way, have been a one-horse team, apart from that little hiccup with Rosberg in 2016. Since, since Lewis joined them, you know, it's Mercedes and Lewis, Lewis and Mercedes. And, uh, you know, you shut your eyes. I mean, I, I remember pre-Lewis, everybody basically said, well, why are they doing this? They're doing this to stop this brand from being identified with basically five podcasters like us, my dad, a doctor and various taxi drivers. You know, and he succeeded, he succeeded fantastically. And I think that um, last year, I think going into last year, None of us would have predicted Lewis would not win a race. Yeah. We just wouldn't have done that at the end of twenty one, even with the new, new eggs coming. And I think it's very clear that this year is also going to be a very, very bad year. And I can imagine if a large part of your social media campaign is so, showing sort of Lewis climbing up Machu Picchu or Lewis, you know, in a whatever. I can imagine the mm. the uh, the Max fans getting on there now and probably giving. Lewis, a hard time. So I think I, I agree with you, Neil, that that little social media hint at the end did seem to be the place where the motivation was coming from. I'd imagine yes. some very nasty things are being said right now. And I could imagine them reacting to that. Let's not say you're wrong, Chris.
3: Part of the judgment was was that I I couldn't understand the language that had been used. And this, this falls outside maybe the, the, the subjects we discuss on this podcast. But it's very rare that you read something written by someone who's obviously very, very capable at using language, English language, who started out by thinking, I've got to write this by not offending a single person. Yeah. And If you try and do that with language, you very quickly start speaking like an 11 year old.
2: But do you think that's the problem though? is not that exactly the problem though, Chris, that I think I have a feeling it's exactly that. Somebody in our generation is trying to talk to people in their late teens and it's early 20s. Like when I
3: go to open mic sessions with Edward and he tries to rap, it never looks good. Um, Right, let's move on, because um, this is now becoming the Neil Clifford section of the podcast. He has has absolutely smashed it on our WhatsApp group this week with some of the stuff he's been sending out. Normally it's quite random, because he has a random eclectic taste in cars. But we were were first of all treated to a video of him trying to start one of his old Bristols. That's not a euphemism. (laughs) He was trying to start this Bristol, and he was taking immense joy in this vehicle's complete disinterest in starting. Can you explain (laughs) to us, Neil, why you find that enjoyable? Because that to me just looked like purgatory on four wheels.
5: Well, hopefully we'll be able to edit that one minute, 30 seconds of film and delete some of the more colorful language to demonstrate. What is my stress release actually? You know, I I do, do, it, it may surprise people, but I do have a relatively sort of stressy job. Um, and then my weekends are spent really moving around C-Tech chargers. (laughs) (laughs) All the different places that they can charge, whether it be in the cigarette lighter or, you know, wherever, and trying to start old shitty cars. And I get immense pleasure out of it. My wife says, what the fuck are you doing over there for three hours? And all she can hear are these sort of winding starter motors from all of my very emotional creative 80. cars that are not japanese therefore they they won't start <laughs> and i do i do i get immense fun out of it it's it's a de-stressor for me i get I, it's it's in no way hassle which of course most 99% of people would think this was immensely um time
3: wasting and useless thing to do but i enjoy it can I ask one thing though, in the context of trying to start an old car? I think the re I think one of the reasons why it can be a fun activity for you is that you've not necessarily planned a journey in that vehicle. When it really kills me is when I thought to myself, I'm going to go and see my pal in my old what have you. I've got it all planned out, which is quite rare for me to be organized. And then the one thing that I need to work doesn't start. And then I have to think to myself, I don't want to turn up in my estate car. I've decided today I'm going to be interesting yeah. and windswept, and I'm going yes. to turn up in my old car. And when it doesn't work, I just—I'm so—I'm—I'm re- I'm close to tears. I'm yeah, more really? likely to cry at that than I am a relative dying. <laughs> you know,
5: that's all of you know. When your when your tire pressure monitor, whether your TPM comes on, or, TPMs, or, or or you or you've got no <laughs> bloody petrol, or the Range Rover 1983 is clearly running on five cylinders, not eight. It is it, you're right, it is a pain in the ass, And then you just go and jump in the 9-11, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I found it really I, you I found haven't that, started for two years.
4: I found that thing a real emotional. It's a bit like this is a bit random. It's a bit like on here, you think you see those those pimple popping things when and all the comments are just just squeeze it. And watching was like, it's not gonna start. Not gonna start. No, it wasn't gonna start.
5: The C Tech charger was plugged in my Honda Monkey bike. And if you if you don't have the 411 on constant charge, it's a 50% chance of not starting anyway. So I I knew I was I was up against it. I knew but, I knew it wasn't gonna Neil, go. Neil,
2: have you um have you can you remember the film um, Woody Allen's The Sleeper? Do you no. remember that? So it's all set in 20, Woody Allen goes to have a very routine operation in, in <laughs> 1973, but it goes wrong. So they cryogenically freeze him. And yeah. he wakes up 200 years later in kind of modern modern year. It's great, it's very, very funny film, very good pastiche of our time, but there's this great moment. There's nothing reliable about the 20th century in this. And they're in a cave and they find a Volkswagen Beetle. It's 200 years old. And he sort of goes, I'm gonna see if it starts. And he puts his <laughs> there, and he goes, Look at that. It's that first time. I can't believe it. You know, it's just it's such a it's such a great moment. Yeah.
5: But, but you sort well, that, of, that is the reality of German cars, isn't it? Yeah. That is the reality, whether it be Mercedes, BMW, or Porsche, they probably will start.
4: But there's part of that experience that watching you, Neil, was somebody I've, I've got, I don't have anything like the car collection Neil has, but I have an old restored mini, 1962 Mini. And somebody came around to do a bit of work on it a few weeks ago on a, on a rare nice day in February. And I told him where it was. And I couldn't hear it starting. And I thought, I know exactly what's happened. He just can't start it. So I went around to him and I said, he said, it won't start. And I said, he pulled the choke out. He looked at me and went. Yeah, no choke. one knows what a choke is anymore. No. And then he, he cleaned it and, and he sort of wouldn't start. And I said, have you got water in the distributor cap? And he went, he doesn't know what a distributor is. I thought it was extraordinary. It's really, really. And you know, we get used to, we're talking about, was it one of the episodes we were talking about before? first company cars, Renault 5 GT Turbo, stuff like that. That had yes. a choke lever. It
5: did have a choke, yeah. Because it had
4: a, it. was a turbocharged, carburetor-fed, 1.4-cylinder yeah. engine. So watching, uh, so we might, I think we should share them because I'm looking forward to next weekend. Which one's you going to not start this weekend? Yeah, <laughs> well, the, the 411 doesn't have a choke. Which is
5: part. But of also, the- but also it like in the, the nine
3: eleven, great cars from that era didn't always have chokes. You gave two good pumps on the throttle. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
5: yeah.
3: So is the
6: uh, is the four eleven automatic? Neil. Yeah,
5: they didn't make yeah. them. At-
6: at least with the mini, there's the excitement of jump-starting something. It's always fun. At least a mini, you can sort of push it along by yourself and uh, hop in, throw it into first or second. The problem and is with the mini, just you, know, walk
5: you often pull it out and it comes right out the fucking dash. And you yeah, can't I've done it that. And the lead <laughs> is about this long.
4: Yeah, it is. <laughs> I've done that. I've done exactly that.
3: So yeah <laughs> Right, now we're going to move on to the <laughs> second part of Neil <laughs> Clifford's week. So he's... Um, he was showing us a picture of a vehicle he owns, um, and it's, um, it's a Ferrari BB. I think we can share that. If we, if we want to edit it out, we can. Um, anyhow, there's a story surrounding uh, the BB that I love because it's a subject close to my heart, and that is the reality of a top, top speed versus that claimed by its, by its maker uh and i think that the biggest offender in my early in my career was ferrari Ferrari would claim some quite wild top speeds on cars and i as a tester would go and try and verify that top speed and quite often i wouldn't get very close to it but i think if they were bad in the mid 90s they were especially naughty in the 70s when they knew they were t- 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 tell us about this story it's wonderful this
5: well it's a car that's connected to ed actually i think it was one of your one of your purchases ed that um it rocked up at Dick Lovett Ferrari and again our gorgeous Matthew um, introduced me to the car and uh, he touched on the story but frankly I love the BB, it was probably the car for me, top trumps, maths book, it's the most beautiful shape of Pininfarina. I think it trumps uh, the date owner actually, so I was always tempted to, ha- to 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 get one, and this is in yellow in Gallo fly, with chocolate leather, super lovely spec. Nice. So basically, I bought I bought it, and then then I started to research the car, and it was owned by a guy called Chris Meek who. Was three times uh, British sports car champion. Had more lap records in the seventies than any racing driver in the United mm. Kingdom. Won five hundred races. Owned Mallory Park. I hope we've put a picture of him up on the up on the screen. The most beautiful man. The most coolest dude you ever met. And he was a friend of um, Colonel Ronnie Hall and, in fact, Enzo. So when he he always ordered his his Ferraris in yellow with chocolate. And his showed up, which was the, I think, the third or fourth delivery of the BB512, so post-365. And I think AutoCar or Motorsport tested the car and couldn't get it to do the 188 miles per hour, which clearly was a little bit of an exaggeration as a claim. I think they did 165 or 168. And then the, 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 one of their customers, a very wealthy, successful lawyer in London, cancelled his order and this was at the time where Ferrari needed their bloody orders it wasn't as if they had a million customers so Colonel Ronnie Haw and uh, Enzo rang Chris Meek and said mate you've got the bloody 512 can you go and do 188 miles an hour in it and off he went with his mate who was a photographer up the M1 at 5am and did 188 miles per hour in the car probably downhill probably with a beautifully adjusted Ferrari speedo, (laughs) took a photograph and this photograph was then used in court and the lawyer backed down and bought the car. And this this photo ended up in Enzo Ferrari's office for the rest of his life. And I tracked the story down and I tracked the photographer down on Ferrari Chat, who's still alive, British guy, he's now 90, who took the photo. And he said, actually, you want me to send you a... We made a poster out of it. And he sent me an original poster print. One of those prints is in the canteen at Dick Lovett Swindon that I delivered to Matthew. And I have the other picture above the car. And it's a wonderful story. And yes, I think there was some sort of blag that the car that they gave Autosport had water in the carburettors, so it wasn't the, didn't go the correct speed. But basically... Um, god knows how we got it to do 188 but this photograph which will again we'll hopefully put on the the, the 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 podcast is this wonderfully hairy hand of the 70s <laughs> with a beautiful big fat gold watch and you can still see the quirky shitty frankly stitching of the brown leather on the dashboard which still exists in my car and uh, actually in yellow with those big, the world's biggest indicators, I think, on a Ferrari BB. It's the most beautiful thing and a great story. Fantastic. That's a cool car. I think mm-hmm. the
3: idea of a Ferrari speedometer being used in a court of law as a way <laughs> of judging a top speed as a professional car tester in my youth is one of the most joke-worthy Things I've heard it's a lovely story but I mean how it was allowed to be admissible I don't know <laughs> uh, would, I, I'd love to know what's first of all the thing about Ferrari's parameters from that era is the needle is so thick that it could be anything it probably gives you a five mile an hour spread needle. in <laughs> thickness I mean, it's just—it's about that bloody thick, isn't it? <laughs> um, I, I bet you at rest it's doing 10 miles an hour because they all work in those days. My 512 TR was doing 11 miles an hour when it was stationary, which you had to take off the top speed when you were driving it. Um, at the top, top speed as, from a car testing perspective versus what the manufacturer claims is always very difficult to challenge because there is nowhere in the UK you can go and do it. And we used to do... Autocar was the only... Car magazine in the late nineties that was still really involved in in rigorously testing a cars' performance. Other people did it, but we did it on a weekly basis. And the only place we'd go and do it was at the Millbrook Bowl, uh, which is a couple of miles. Um, it's just it's just a simple bowl, and it's what they call a hundred miles an hour hands off. So hundred miles an hour, there's no tire scrub at all. So the car's running with no tire scrub. But above hundred miles an hour, you're then into tire scrub. So the car's effectively understeering. And if you try and go really fast, like Tiff, when he did nearly 200 miles an hour, did do 200 miles an hour in a, in a McLaren F1, which remains one of the most insane things anyone's ever done in the UK, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, is uh, He was effectively doing a 100 mile an hour corner constantly, and the front right tyre pretty much gave way. And he was jumping at one point, because there's, there's a lump before the bridge at Millbrook. As anyone who's ever worked there will tell you, it's horrific. But Ferrari speedometers were the worst for me. I mean, I can remember doing... I was uh, side-by-side in another country, let's say, in a tunnel uh, not far away from Turin, and I was in a Ferrari Challenge Stradale, and a friend of mine called Phil Bennett, who is a racing driver, oh, yeah. was next to me. Uh, no, sorry, I'm in the 911, he's in the Ferrari. And the, it's a GT3 then, a brand-new GT3. It was a facelifted 380-horsepower one. And in the tunnel, the Ferrari creeps past me and proves that it is a bit quicker in a straight line than a GT3. But my speedometer, we had two video cameras. My speedometer was reading X. His speedometer was reading eleven miles an hour faster than mine as he <laughs> came past at walking speed. I mean, the disparity <laughs> was just enormous. And and Ferrari for years, I think, would just pluck a top speed and just go. Let's just say it does two hundred. Yeah. But actually, the only the only car they ever made, I think, in that area that did what it said it would do was F40. the F forty. Yeah, F40 yeah. Was the only one. Yeah. Um, so see you numbers.
2: would have been, you would have been terrifying as a case for the defence, wouldn't you? I, 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 I call Mr Harris now. <laughs> Is this car really doing 188 miles an hour? No, it's doing 177, Your Honour. I'm not buying that car. <laughs> it,
3: it really, it really was I, I tell you what, and I'll, I'll finish this with a rather boring but odd story. I got a letter when I was working as a road tester at car that just said, Dear Sir, my son has been caught speeding in my Rover 4 something, whatever it was. And I and I've I've decided to take this to court because I don't believe that this vehicle is capable of this speed. It was about 114 miles an hour, and I looked on the spec of the car and thought he's there or thereabouts. You'd have to have had a good run at it to do this. But he's one of those fathers that would rather he was so adamant that it was it was wrong for his family to face this, and his son would never have done this. I'm thinking it's absolutely certain this kid's done this. He's trying to get involved. So I was employed by him. <laughs> to go to Millbrook in this car to prove an that hour. it wouldn't do 114 miles an hour. I got it up on the bowl with him. I had him on a, I had him on a walkie-talkie. We charged him for this. He's up on the bridge, and I'm, I'm driving along, and it just sailed past 114, got to about 126 quite easily, and I just went, you're to right. So it's quite capable of doing that speed. Um so yeah, yeah that's you, quite
5: scary that Millbrook thing. I've done it a it few is. times. It's you you've got to have pretty big balls to
3: yeah. rattle around that at a well, bit. the speech. best Millbrook story was Colin Goodwin and Steve Sutcliffe were in a Bentley Continental T. I can probably say this now because it's so far gone, and to prove it was hands off at 100 miles an hour they got in the back seat I going to say, I control got and did a lap with the car with no one in the front seat. But what you have to realise is that you, you, had radio, you had radio contact with other test drivers who were using different, it's five lanes and you can use different lanes. And they were going past sort of ambulances doing testing on lane two who spotted there was no one in the front driving. <laughs> <front. laughs> And everyone got in a bit of trouble. Um, so uh, no, I, I, I do love um, those stories. And I, the only time I, I did 170-something on the bowl as fast as I went, you could actually get up, up beyond the white line at the top and get the wing mirror on the barrier, and it would give you another 10 miles an hour. But I was in a Pagan, the first Pagani Zonda that we Roland Hall owned, and we did a road test on it in, I think, 2002. And I thought everything was OK, but a photographer who was there said there was smoke pissing out of the right rear. And the compression of the suspension meant the rear clam was eating, the tyre was eating into it. And that was the car that Harry, Harry Metcalf ended up owning and they all kept the chew mark. It's still there on the inside of the clam to prove it was the road test car. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Rather boring story. But um, now we're going to move on to um, our... What are going to go for? Oh, we're going to do some music now. Who's going to do some music? Give me, a, give me a chew. I'm amazed we haven't had this before.
4: This is. The very perfect rock
3: song, Jump by Van Halen. Oh. Don't know how we missed it. I think I've already suggested it, haven't I? I normally no. do. It's one of my favourite songs. If you haven't, thank you for doing it. Yeah. Oh,
6: it's Got a great done. tune.
3: It's a great tune. The Temper um,
6: Trap, Sweet Disposition. Great tune. Great tune. Great tune. Uh,
5: no, Clifford. I'm shocked that I've not included my favourite band on any of my suggestions so far. So I was so embarrassed myself. I've got to put a Radiohead song on there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, OK Computer is the best album. Please download the whole bloody thing. It's just magnificent. 25, 26 years old now. And in those days, as we all, we are on men of the 90s, you listen to the whole album in order because you put the bloody yeah. CD in when you got in your car. So... It, the best track for me of that album is always the first track because you're like, Fuck, I'm in the car, I've got my radio head on, I've got a two-hour drive, and ironically, it's called Airbag. <laughs> 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 it's brilliant, 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 brilliant stuff.
3: Well, Manish, we're always well, we're always waiting because it's like an episode of Inspector Morse. We never know what's going to come out, which, what wonderful piece of classical music is going to come out. What's it going to be?
5: No, no, it's a, it's
2: not classical It's time. Teeny tiny story. So a few years ago, do you remember when Lewis Hamilton? and uh, Valentino Rossi swapped occupa- occupation in Barcelona. Yes. Mm. So um, I was actually asked to film that by his, um, his manager at the time, or to prepare a pitch for it, Universal would think about making a movie. And um, my thought was that the real story, so I was trying to find a little bit of emotion, is that what you've got is one man who's about to give up his career. He's at the very twilight of his career while the other one's absolutely at the peak of his career, but probably right at the peak. So I imagine it was a kind of brothers-in-arms story where they'd swap, and it would be all about that kind of final embrace, and Valentino would walk away forever, and Lewis would go, God, I'm going to be that guy one day. So I had a lovely pitch, we had a little plan. Anyway, it didn't happen, but I wanted to end it with, or I wanted the moment when they actually swapped occupations. So Valentino drives in the Mercedes, Lewis gets onto the what was he driving? Yamaha. Um, I imagined it to this beautiful piece of music called El Corazon which is on one of the Budaba albums and the guy who composed it is a guy called Arno Elias and it has got the most beautiful Spanish guitar, it just orchestrates, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and the woman who sings it, you know she's one of these Spanish women with a voice down here, it is the most beautiful song you'd be crying your eyes out at the end as Valentino walks away into the sunset.
3: As ever, I'm, brilliant. He's, he's melted my heart again. He just always yeah. leaves me feeling a bit, and I, I don't know how to follow that up. My, my, I was trying to find a piece of music. I, I'm trying to find pieces of music I listened to that defined important journeys in my life, and I had just about found something. It was a piece of weird, sort of euphoric trance music, and about that I was listening to with Sutcliffe at four in the morning when we were driving a 911 back from some launch in Cadiz but I couldn't quite find the name of it. And what, and all of these things are sampled and then in re- different remixes that you can't find. I, I nearly got close to it. But as I was doing that, Tina Turner's Nutbush City Limits oh. came on the radio. <laughs> <and> I just <laughs> found myself thinking, yes. I'd forgotten what a legend she was when she was yeah. younger. Oh, it's yeah. Just a, and it's just got that... It's one of those songs that you, you drive, when it comes on in the car, you go, oh, yeah. I've, I've so I'm, I'm going for Tina this week because I just think... It's a sensational tune. And if you, if you YouTube much. it and watch the Definitely. video, yeah, I mean, how amazing was she? Yeah, she really was. So mm. I will, for all of you people that love sort of that techno-y chancy sound of beats that would keep us going in the early 2000s, I will find some next week. But for now, I'm afraid you're stuck with my nut bush. We've oh so got
6: 1,369 uh, follows on the, uh, on the podcast. Oh, not on the you're podcast, good. on the driving tunes, collecting addicts spotify very good thank
3: thank you very much for joining neil clifford stories and the rest of us for this week's podcast (laughs) it's been an absolute joy i think the ferrari bb story is one of my it's just wonderful and i tell you what if you're going to write comments on this those of you that have a vehicle that have researched its history and and almost treats it like a human being share those with us because i love people that want to know the story that their that their cars live and why there's a dent there and why that bit of upholstery is ripped those are some of my favorite stories so share those with us have a lovely week enjoy the grand prix at the weekend and we'll catch up with you next week see you later